God bless you, everyone. My name is David Ewan, heading up the Bravehearted Ministry, located at 1060 Worcester Street at Resurrection Center. It's in our Indian Orchard area of Springfield, Massachusetts. Our website is resurrectionspringfield.org. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TRC413. On YouTube, subscribe to ResCent Spring, and you can find us on thekradio.com, resurrectioncenterradio.com, and ktv.us. And we have an announcement. The Bravehearted Men's Ministry Extravaganza is titled, Your Identity is Your God-Given Purpose. It's Friday, September 18th, from 7 to 9 p.m. And so we'll talk uh, about that later. Today we're going to be talking about error and greed. Our error leads to greed. Greed leads us into darkness. Okay, so we'll be talking about the following topics. First of Timothy, chapter 6, verse 1 through 10. We'll talk about greed and how it affects false doctrine. Uh, we'll talk. We'll understand greed. We'll avoid the pitfalls of the riches. We'll talk about three things about false teachings that come from greed. We'll talk about false teachers that cause a fierce division, and we'll talk about false teachers who are victims of greed and the issue of greed that greed is idolatry. And then we'll talk about repentance for correction. So here's a story about a fence, and it's about greed. So. The pastor of the Resurrection Center, Pastor Jose, said, we need a fence in the parking lot, and four people are involved. One, it's Chris O'Brien, because he's a homeowner, so he knows maintenance. It's uh, Wayne LaPointe. He's good with tools. That's why you hear me call him Bunker Bob. Uh, and me, I'm a businessman. I've been a businessman for uh, over 26 years, and I know how to manage money. And pastor, pastor's involved, because he is good at asking questions. So the pastor talked with Wayne, Chris, and myself individual. He met with each of us privately, one by one. So Chris O'Brien took out his tape measure and pencil, did some me measuring, and said, I figure this job will run about 900 bucks, 400 for materials, 400 for my crew, and 100 uh, profit for me. So that's a total $900. So pastor wrote that down. Chris O'Brien, $900. Wayne, uh, he also took out a, a tape measure and a pencil and he did some quick calculations and said, looks like I can do this job for 700, 300 for materials, 300 for my crew, and 100 profit for me. That's a total of $700. So Pastor wrote that down, $700. So 900 Chris, $700 Wayne. So finally, uh, Pastor asked me for my bid. What do I think this thing costs? I said $2,700. He said, what? Pastor said, you didn't even measure like the other guys. How did you come up with such a high figure? I said, easy. 1000 for me, 1000 for you, and we hire Bunker Bob for $700. <laughs> That's $2,700. So that's a, a funny story about greed. So let's get to diving into the dirt of greed. That's our topic today. What is greed in the year 2020? Well, number one, it's wanting it all because you feel empty. Number two, living to excess beyond what you can handle. Number three, you break laws. You forget the ethics because you're distracted by greed. Uh, number four, you're avoiding generosity. You forget others like family. 
Um, and number five, you gamble away everything. Uh, you take unnecessary risks. So first of Timothy chapter six warns us against greed that destroys us. False teachers promote greed. See, first of Timothy is one of Paul's three pastoral epistles. We've talked about that before. First of Timothy, second of Timothy, and Titus. They're written to specific people whom Paul is advising on how to best lead their local churches. These three letters present a closer look at the form and function of church leadership. Why? Because he's writing to church leaders. See, Paul's other letters, such as Romans, Ephesians, and Colossians, they're meant for a broader audience. Okay, So let's take a look at the, the book of First of Timothy. The book of First of Timothy is full of very practical advice from Timothy's mentor, and that's the Apostle Paul. Chapter 6 rounds out the instructions given in the first five chapters. Building on, on the ideas laid down earlier in the letter, Paul reminds Timothy of the importance of godly living and avoiding the snares of evil temptation. This chapter provides a strong encouragement for Timothy to apply the wisdom of this letter, both in his personal life and in the churches he is leading. So let's do a quick review of Timothy, chapters 1 through 6. Okay, six chapters. We've already talked about the first five chapters, but a review is. Chapter 1 is Paul's philosophy of ministry. Chapter 2 is to pray for leaders, godly women. Number three, overseers, deacons, and uh, the conduct in the church. Number four, the departure from the faith and the train for godliness. Number five, respectfully challenge widows and elders on the correct doctrines. And number six, it talks about greed and the error that comes from greed. So today we'll talk about how greed has caused error in the doctrines we teach. This means greed is the factory of false teachings in the church. Greed is a distraction, just like idolatry is a distraction. This is why greed is idolatry. Say distraction. So today we talk about how greed is the same as idolatry, and how idolatry is the factory of false doctrines being taught in churches. Which churches, you ask? <laughs> They're the ones you see closing. That's the ones. Yep, those are the ones. Okay, <laughs> So let me tell you about my story. I grew up and was taught greed. I lived in a world of greed, okay? Um, a very wealthy household. And I remember uh, at seven years old in 1970, I was born in 63, I was drilled the message. At 20 years old, I should be making $40,000, okay? This is when people are still in college. But at 20 years old, I should be making $40,000. At 30 years old, I should be making $60,000. And at 40 years old, I should be making $80,000. You see, a dollar in 1970 is equivalent to $6.68 in 2020. So what he was really saying is that at 20 years old, I should be making $267,000. At 30 years old, I should be making $400,000. At 40 I should be making 534000 So today, at 57 years old, let me tell you, <laughs> I don't make 800000 a year. The struggle to buy a first home back in the 1980s was real. It was a 40% cash down payment on a $150,000 home. 
Okay, a dollar in 1980 is equivalent in purchasing power to about three dollars and fourteen cents in 2020. So in today's dollars, you need a hundred and ninety thousand dollars cash down for a four hundred and seventy thousand dollar home. And if you're paying off university education loans for both a bachelor's and a master's degree, typical in the Boston area, that makes it even more challenging. So for me, I was 24 years old with a master's degree uh, in education. So I had my bachelor's, I had my master's, I had a certification. I, I also did postgraduate work. So I needed a half a million dollars for the dream. This is the life in 1980s Boston. So let me tell you, Boston was a factory of greed in the banking and investment industry. I worked at corporate headquarters at Bay Bank and Putnam Investments. I worked at the data center. Um, I was responsible for $387 billion of other people's money, uh, money I should say. Uh, my father was a famous scientist in history, and I say in history, Google him, document, uh, with a PhD from Harvard and all sons all of his sons, I'm one of nine children, all of his sons wanted to be like dad. It's what we knew. That's the world we lived in. It was all about money, prestige, and status. Again, money, prestige, and status. The colloquial phrase, no money, no honey. So I was taught that money built happiness. I believe money makes things possible. Education provides the high-paying job. All right, that's okay. That makes sense. Uh, title is prestige. That's the nose up in the air. Material things, that's the status, you know, the big show off. Prestige and status blinds us from God's purpose. Jeremiah 29.11 talks about God's purpose. And in Jeremiah 29.11, the scripture says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. See, that's all we need. We don't need this prestige. We don't need the status. So for me, instead of buying a house, see, I was single, okay? Uh, I built a publishing company in Natick, Mass. Uh, that was in 1994. So I've been in business for over 26 years. I created the New England Publishers Association, which operates today uh, as the Independent Publishers of New England. I started that in 1998. So that was 22 years ago. Back then, it was 300 members. Uh, I had commercial properties in Natick, Framingham, and Westboro. I had three properties. Um, and we didn't have offices. We had command centers. So, and our command center moved from our first location in Framingham and went to Westboro. And in 1998, I was a touring professor in all six New England states. I was the big man on campus. The problem is I trusted the wrong people. I was deceived and manipulated by selfish people. I put money in the wrong places. I was under the influence of jealous people who were intimidated and afraid of my success. The type of people I was around, they had the following actions, deception, manipulation, selfish. The behavior they had was jealousy, intimidation, and fear of me. And what they stole was my identity and destination for success. That was the problem I had. And what ended up happening is I fell into depression with alcohol and sleeping pills, a bad combination. I was addicted to alcohol and sleeping pills. Uh, I almost caused accidental suicide multiple times. I was sleeping on the floor of the command center at UN Prime Company in Westboro. 
That means I was homeless. Yes, I know what homelessness means. Okay? I didn't go to AA meetings because I was too drunk to go. Fuck out of my Three words. Addiction, suicide, homelessness. That is the doorstep to death. That is on the doormat of darkness. That It was when I hit that bottom, addiction, suicide, and helplessness, and homelessness, I should say, I was convicted. I was in a state of repentance. I did not want to be in that space. If that doesn't humble you and make you seek God, then you're a servant to Satan. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. Later, after I was delivered from most of that, I met Mikosita Linda, my beautiful wife. Early on, I was taught the kind of wife to have with the, that prestige status and all of that type of scenario that you see in Boston, okay? Can you imagine at a family reunion in July of 2002, hey, I met her three months ago. She's illegal and doesn't speak English. Yeah, that didn't go well. A month later from that, on my birthday, August 10th, uh, which was recently, uh, I'm going to marry her in two months. <laughs> oh, geez. Uh, let, let me tell you, after being homeless and addicted and drunk, I was being delivered. I didn't care of the gossip. Forget about it. I didn't care what people said. I loved my, my girlfriend, my fiancé at the time, my wife today. The gossip, jealousy, and immaturity started to fly as high as an eagle after that. I didn't care. Forget about it. See, God healed me as I was delivered from greed. Not financially rich, but abundantly blessed. Today, I have a beautiful, loving wife. I have an education that no one can take away from me. I have international certifications, world-class international awards, a, a title of ambassador professor, the prestige of working with Harvard University and working on the global stage. I have a church family who I visit, and I make pizza, and we have ice cream, and we have s'mores. Uh, I'm free from bondage. Uh, I'm free from the addiction, homelessness, suicidal thoughts. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Picture it. I'm as happy as a seagull on the beach with a french fry. I'm so excited for life. I was finally delivered from greed. What is on my skin is not important. What is in my heart is important. What people see on the outside is not important. What I feel on the inside is important. A church building is not important. What I do inside the building and even outside the building is important. The world outside is not important. The inner peace, love, and joy, that's what's important. Let's have an understanding of greed. The Bible explains that it is not, it, it's not that the rich abandon God, but becoming wealthy raises the possibility. That shows the risk from temptation. See, with wealth comes the temptation to trust in oneself rather than God. The rich sometimes feel that they have no need of God. They have made other arrangements. Material things as a threat to devotion to God is underscored. For example, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, 12 through 14, it warns us of those entering the promised land not to allow their prosperity to lead them in, to abandon the Lord. 
And, and the scripture says, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You see, the Bible underscores love, trust, and service as three core responses of the believer in relation to God and faults both the idolater and the greedy person for foolishly misdirecting these same three. Both people in idolatry and the greedy set their hearts on inappropriate objects. Both rely on, trust in, and look to their treasures for protection and blessing. Both serve and submit to things that demean rather than working as a worshiper. Jesus warns about excessive love of wealth and a forbidden service of wealth. No one can be loyal servant to two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot faithfully serve both God and money. And that's in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Is greed a religion today? Think of that. Is greed a religion today? It does seem that for many people, material things holds a place in their lives that was once occupied by belief in God. Greed is idolatry in that, like the literal worship of idols, it represents an attack on God's exclusive rights to human love, trust, and service. Material things can replace God in the human heart and set us on a course that is opposed to him. See, economists may recommend greed, politicians rely on it, and celebrities flaunt it. But in the end, like all idols, money fails to deliver on its promises. If the root cause of materialism is misdirected, religious impulses, then the ultimate solution is still faith in the true and living God who alone gives the security and satisfaction that each of us craves. Now, here's a story about greed from false doctrine. Here's a story about how we forget the people and care more about material things. Unfortunately, we are taught material things are good and our actions show it. False doctrine teaches us that. So I met a, a guy in the street and asked, Hey, friend, how come you look uh, like the whole world has caved in? Why do you look so glum? The sad guy said, let me tell you, three weeks ago, my uncle died and left me $50,000. And I said, oh, sorry about your uncle. He said, hold on, I'm just getting started. Two weeks ago, a cousin I never knew kicked a bucket and left me 95000 tax-free. Oh, sorry about your cousin, I said. He said, last week, my grandfather passed away. I inherited almost a million dollars. Ooh, sorry about your grandfather. Are you still sad? He said, yeah, I'm still sad. This week, nothing. <laughs> it's a story where we forget that people and care more about the material things or money. Unfortunately, we are taught material things are good and our actions show it. Again, we see it in false doctrine. Let's learn about, let's talk about 1st of Timothy chapter 6, shall we? So in 1st of Timothy chapter 6, it outlines the duties of Christians in their beliefs and also as it pertains to other masters. It speaks of godliness and contentment. It contains a solemn demand for Timothy to be faithful. The chapter closes with the apostle reiterating, this is Apostle Paul, uh, reiterating a warning to the rich and ends it with a blessing. 
So let me let me give a summary. I'll, I'll read other scripture later, but let me give you a summary. Let me just show you what First of Timothy chapter six verse one through twenty one is all about. So. Uh, in uh, verse 1 through 2, slavery was part of the Roman world. Believing slaves had a responsibility and a testimony to their unbelieving and believing masters. That's 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1 through 2. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3 through 5, Paul then warns those who reject sound teaching from Jesus and also his own teaching that bring about godliness. Again, that's in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3 through 5. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 through 10, Paul continues by saying that godliness yields greater gain than money, the love of which brings much evil. And again, that's 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 through 10. And in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, verse 11 through 16, the scripture says, Paul then reminds Timothy to stay away from greed and instead fight the fight of faith, hold to eternal life, and keep the commandment until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back at the time God the Father chooses. And then next, in verse 17 through 19, Paul continues with more instructions about money. It is not to be the hope in life, but simply supplied by God to some for enjoyment and good works. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20 through 21, Paul, the Apostle Paul concludes by leaving Timothy with two challenges. Guard what God has entrusted him and just stay out of useless arguments. Great advice. So let's read some scripture here, okay? This is about error and greed, okay? I'm going to be reading uh, 1st of Timothy chapter 6, verse 3 through 10. So it's 1st of Timothy chapter 6, verse 3 through 10. So starting at verse 3. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord, Jesus Christ, and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil, suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Verse 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Dear Lord, I thank you for this word. Um, so let's talk about how we can avoid the pitfalls of the riches. And again, we're, we're talking about First of Timothy chapter 6. It has been said that there are three things which will get a preacher. It's wealth, wine, and woman, right? right? Paul's letter to Timothy is to warn him about the pitfalls of wealth, but it also points out to one of the common traits that seem to characterize many false teachers, the inordinate focus upon wealth. Simply put, greed. From the outset, let us agree that there is no spiritual virtue that is associated with poverty, and there is no inherent wickedness associated with wealth. It is not a sin to be wealthy. Abraham was wealthy. David was wealthy. Solomon was wealthy. Lydia, Philemon, and other godly people in the scripture were wealthy. The problem is not with having wealth. 
The problem is making wealth the goal or aim of our life, just like I did in Boston. It is not a problem when we possess wealth. That's not the issue. But it becomes a problem when wealth possesses us. See, wealth is a distraction turning us away from good and away from God. Again, it is not a problem when we possess wealth, but it becomes a problem when wealth possesses us. Wealth has turned some ministries into a factory of false teachings. Let this be a warning. There are three things about false teachings. Number one, false teachings do not agree with sound words. False teaching is usually based upon a half-truth or incomplete truth. Therefore, their words cannot be sound. It could be a false understanding about salvation, Say that salvation comes by work instead of by grace through faith, or that salvation can only come through faith plus works. As some believe, you must be baptized in order to be fully saved. Number two, false teachings do not agree with the words of Jesus. False teachers will often use the words of Jesus, but take them out of context, twist them, distort them, and spin them to fit their own personal agenda. One of the ways we can identify false teachers is by comparing what they say to what the Scripture says. That means know the Bible. Read the Bible. If what they say does not line up with Scripture, then their teaching is false. It's as simple as that. And number three, false teachings do not lead to godliness. They do not lead people to a life of reverence to God. They lead to sin and selfishness. Let's now talk about how false teachers cause a fierce division. Yes, a fierce division. Number one, it, it's envy. Inward discontent rising from the desire to have what belongs to another. Number two, strife and discord. Forgetfulness, hunger, pain, battles, fights, murders, killings, quarrels, lies, disputes, loneliness and ruin, and everything else you read about in the news. Uh, number three, abusive language. You know, that language that you hear sometimes at home, literally the word is blasphemies. In this case, not blaspheming God, but one another. False teachers get people talking about each other, gossiping, spreading tales, telling lies. Number four, the evil suspicions, calling one another's motives into questions. Number five, constant friction. This is the state of being where false teachers are not confronted. Now let's talk about false teachers who are the victims of greed. It's material gain, earthly focus, and other things. Uh, it's the greed and competition and family. So let's talk about material gain. They are deceived into believing that God will make them materially rich. Oh my goodness. Number two, earthly focus. They are deceived into making earth their home instead of in heaven. Number three, for those uh, whose desire is after money, honesty believe that money will bring them happiness. But it will not. And let me talk about number four. It's a false sense of ownership. They are deceived as to who owns who. Jesus taught that money is one of the spiritual powers we fight, not simply green paper or of copper nickel sandwiches. Money is not the same thing. It's someone. And as someone, it tricks us into thinking we master it, when inevitably it masters us. Money has a way of binding us to what is physical and temporal, and blinding us as to what is spiritual and eternal. It's a bit like a fly in the flypaper. The fly lands on the flypaper and says, my flypaper. When the flypaper says, my fly, the fly is dead. It is one thing to have money, another thing to have 
money to have you. When it does, it will kill you. Nice little colloquium. The issue of greed. The issue of greed. False teachers in ministry are driven by greed. Their focus is to tickle ears, to draw an audience. Greed is a, a form of idolatry. Idolatry is the worship of an idol or a cult image. Being a, a physical image, such as a statue or a person or a place of God, it's a worship of something or someone other than God, as if it were God. Okay, so here's a story, a fun story of greed distracting us. A rich yuppie, you know, this rich kid, opened the door of his BMW, this very expensive BMW, when suddenly a truck came along and hit the door and ripped it off completely. When the police arrived at the scene, the yuppie was complaining bitterly about the damage to his precious, beautiful BMW. So this rich kid says, Officer, look at what they've done to my Beamer, my BMW, he whined. And the police says, the policeman says, uh, You yuppies, you are so materialistic, you make me sick. And the officer said, You're so worried about your stupid BMW that you didn't even notice that your left arm was ripped off. And then the rich kid says, Oh, oh. And finally, he's noticing the bloody left shoulder where his arm once was. He says, where's my Rolex? Okay, so greed in a secular way. <laughs> Let's understand greed in a secular way and what the mindset is like. Many greedy people obsessively pursue wealth as a substitute for what they feel is lacking inside them. But they ignore the high price that comes with greediness, a stunted life. Materialistic pursuits are often an attempt at relieving emotional discomfort. In fact, the behavior of greedy people can be compared to that of substance abusers. I've been there myself. I just told you that. But just like drugs, material possessions can never provide the comfort and reassurance we all crave. On the contrary, the greedier we become, the more advanced on the path of self-destruction, where I was headed, I told you that, Unfortunately, amid our busyness, we rarely stop to ask ourselves, why am I frantically pursuing wealth? That's the question we should be asking. So greed is not much of a financial issue. It is the symptom of a troubled mind trying to link self-worth to financial worth, usually on a subconscious level. Far too often, greed comes with stress, exhaustion, anxiety, depression, and despair. Many view greed and its related traits such as ambition, material success, as desirable rather than potential mental health problems. It is not always easy to explain the harm caused by excessive greed. Greed has unpleasant effects on our inner emotional lives. The anxiety and restlessness we feel when we long for some possession <coughs> and the false assurance that upon gaining it will be put at ease and satisfied places us in literal vicious circle. Greed is idolatry as well as a distraction. That's right. Greed is an excessive love or desire for money or any possession. Greed is not merely caring about money and possessions, but caring too much about them. The greedy person is too attached to his things and his money, or he desires more money and more things in an excessive way. Let's talk about how we can be convicted and put into a state of repentance and go down a better path out of darkness into light. Number one, repentance for correction for, from uh, greed. That's what we're talking about. Number one, believers must consciously realize that the Lord owns everything they have. They are merely stewards of their possessions, not owners. Purchases should be evaluated as to how they would advance the kingdom or make one's ministry more effective, not their own um, their own purpose. 
Number two, believers must cultivate a thankful heart. Since God owes them nothing, anything they receive from him should make them thankful. Number three, believers must learn to distinguish wants from needs. That principle, if followed, would greatly increase the amount of money available for the Lord's work. Number four, believers must discipline themselves to spend less than they make. The ease of buying things on credit has become a severe temptation. As a result, many people are so hopelessly mirrored in debt that they will never get out. Number five, believers must sacrificially present themselves to the Lord. Laying up treasure in heaven for the work of the kingdom should be their highest joy and source of greatest reward. Today, we have talked about the first of Timothy, chapter 6, verse 3 through 10. We were understating greeds, uh, avoiding the pitfalls of riches. We talked about three things about false teachings. We talked about how false teachers cause fierce divisions in their congregations which is why churches close. We talked about false teachers are victims of greed uh, so that they don't even know. They're ignorant to what they're doing. The issue of greed, we talked about greed as idolatry, so it's a sin. The repentance uh, for correction away from greed is what we talked about. These are the things that we talked about. Remember, the doorstep to death caused by greed is addiction, suicide, homelessness. I've been there. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. Remember that the Bravehearted Men's Ministry extravaganza titled Your Identity is Your God-Given Purpose is Friday, September 18th, 2020 from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. My name is David Ewan, heading up the Bravehearted Ministry at 1060 Worcester Street in Indian Orchard, Massachusetts, at the Resurrection Center. Our website is resurrectionspringfield.org. In Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, we're at TRC413. You can subscribe to us on YouTube at ResCentSpring. We're at thekradio.com, resurrectioncenterradio.com, ktv.us. Join us Sundays at noon and Wednesdays at 7. My name is David Ewan, and this is the Resurrection Center.